ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my purpose girls. Oh, do I have a good episode for you? Oh, this is so juicy. This is so juicy. First of all, to all of my LGBTQ plus amazing, beautiful listeners, friends, colleagues, gorgeous humans and souls around the world, happy Pride Month to you. I am proud to connect with you. I'm proud to know you and love you. I'm proud to be in your community. So I have shared with you all before that I identify as bisexual and that my first love was a girl when I was 16, 17 years old. And as we move into Pride Month, it's always an opportunity for me to step back and really look at what is true for me. And I'm about to share a really juicy secret with all of you. One of the things that's true for me is that I can get turned on thinking about being with a woman. I can get turned on watching some lesbian porn. And I know that this might not be appropriate for your kids. Just an FYI. And it's one of the ways I can keep my own libido up. I can introduce things into my marriage with Josh. He's totally supportive. We've had tons of conversation. And it gets to be fun that way. We can role play. We can do all sorts of things. And you all also know that one of my biggest dreams is to be an author with tons of books out there. Well, I happened to stumble across a woman who is doing all the things. She is an author of nine novels, many of which are lesbian romance novels. So fun. A series on transgender, a transgender man who is a spy. So fun. She also is a leading speaker, blogger, podcaster, and authored in nonfiction, speaking about self-care, specifically self-care for women. Her book, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, is a phenomenal, phenomenal resource for us women who are so busy, who are so overwhelmed, to do less and really, really, really achieve more by focusing on what is important to us. Suzanne is this incredible woman who came to all of this during her own transformational healing from the crisis of her daughter Teal's death. She has written other nonfiction books like How Much Joy Can You Stand and Surrendering to Joy. Now she's the host of the podcast Self-Care for Extremely Busy Woman. We have so much to connect on about knowing who you are, about being proud and true with who you are, about extreme self-care, that it's beyond manicures, it's knowing yourself, it's really living in alignment with your soul, and it's following all the dreams, and that it's all possible no matter what you have been through in life. I am so excited to have this woman. Suzanne, welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. Well, hello, Karen. I'm so very delighted to be here. Mm, I am delighted for you to be here because you really bring together so much of my life in this really fun way that is super cool. Mm. Now, you didn't, focusing on pride for a minute, you didn't come out until you were 52. Is that right? That's right. All right. Share with us the juicy story. All right. So I was always a girl who grew up in a world that was not accepting of gays. My parents were conservative people in suburban Philadelphia who just thought gay people, LGBTQ folks, very much other and a little scandalous. Mm. And, um, you know, there wasn't a blanket acceptance or anything like that. And I knew from an early age that I was more into girls than boys, but I wasn't going to talk about it because it wasn't safe. 
And it was a dysfunctional family, and there was a, a fair amount of crisis going on most of the time. So I just laid low with that, and then I knew it would make my parents happy if I married a man. Very fortunately for me, found a guy who was very open-minded, and we had kids. And we had kids very quickly because he was an older person, and I wanted to get on with the child-rearing. So once I got really in touch with my need to have relationships with women, the rest kind of unraveled pretty quickly. And I'd say by the time, let's see, uh, I'd say about year 20 in the marriage, I started having short-term kind of um, little romances that were given, I had permission to do this, and he was totally, totally supportive, and it was actually kind of fun. And at the same time, it was confusing to me, because these mm -hmm. weren't real relationships. They were sort of little hotel romances. Mm -hmm. And I met some wonderful like women. flings. Yeah, were flings. And I met some wonderful women, but it was, it was sort of like having a bowl of cereal when you're longing for a steak, you know? Mm. And it wasn't the real thing. So I had a dream. I, I very, a bunch of things very quickly happened in 2009 and 2010, early 2010. And the first was I had a dream. Or no, actually, the first was I met a guy who was a gay guy who lived in San Francisco. We met at a conference with whom I had an immediate connection. And I thought, you've got to run my business with me. Hmm. And we, he came into my business and became part of it. Then... I started thinking about San Francisco, and then I had an incredible dream where my father came to me, my father long dead, in mm. a white robe, and he showed me a neighborhood where this guy lived near the Castro in San Francisco, mm. and I said, I'm going to live there, and he nodded and was excited and gung-ho, and I just, it was like the whole gay blessing from the dad who wow. was never going to give it. And it happened in a dream. I'm having chills just as I talk about I am about too. This. I mean, my mouth, my jaw is on the ground because you described your conservative father and he's the one who said go. And it was from the afterlife. Right, you know? I mean, from the afterlife. I mean, right, in your dream, it said go. And I'm guessing that that's the exact neighborhood. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is I saw the view of the neighborhood and just about a, a month later, I sat down with my husband. At that point, we'd been doing the polyamory thing for some time, and it was pretty clear what direction I was going in. And he had already said to me, if you need to leave this marriage and be a lesbian, I give you my blessing. Mm. And I said, this what a is time. Man. Oh, yeah. He was very accepting of it. And, and it, to this day, we remain close and we have a son together, you know. Mm. Uh, so anyway, we went uh, we went through the breaking up process, and I moved to San Francisco. I got in my little moving truck, and I kissed mm -hmm. him goodbye, and I <laughs> I drove. I actually wrote about this on my blog recently, uh, because I got in the moving truck, and I started crying, and it was raining, and then I stopped crying in Ohio. You know, I was driving from upstate New York to San Francisco in this little moving truck, and and like the sun came out, and there was a rainbow, and it was like. I am on the right track. Okay, thank you. Thank you up there. I hear you. That's right. So long story short, yeah, I moved to San Francisco. I came out. Um, I had some uh, ups and downs with dating women. And then um, the most incredible thing that happened was I the business took off. It quickly became so big and hot that it burned me out, burned out my business partner. We just had mm. to stop it. And right after, and I had by then fallen into a little relationship that fell apart. I had to move out of my apartment. Suddenly everything was falling away that I had built. Mm. And that is when my daughter Teal suddenly dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. So this whole thing was just like boom, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom. It was just mm, like right. all these things within a three month period fell apart. And her death was totally shocking, totally shocking. She had epilepsy, but it was very well controlled, and it will never be known why she had the cardiac arrest she had. And, you know, there's a lot of conjecture, this or that, but it'll just never be known. And what's amazing is Teal lived in San Francisco. We were deeply, deeply connected to each other, of course, and um, I felt her around me saying 
as she was transitioning out of life over that week that she was in a coma. Um, this is the beginning of different work for you. This is the beginning of a change in your life. This is going to transform who you are and how you give back to the rest of the world. Hmm. And at that point, Karen, I was recovering from being a total burned out workaholic, type A, gasp, internet marketer. Mm -hmm. I had written a novel years earlier, but I wasn't even remotely interested in doing that. I just wanted to make money, 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 and my priorities were screwed up, just to <sighs> put it bluntly. And, and honestly, I think the thing that happened for me was that I saw how meaningless my life was. Mm. If she could die, and she was the most beautiful, compassionate, generous, fun, loving person, and boom, she was gone. Who was I to carry on in this dysfunctional way? I had to get my act together. So that was a very major shift of life purpose for me, and I spent the next two years grieving and focusing on self-care, which was what mm. I had no idea about before her death. <laughs> Not. So I'm working right. on the self-care, and, and that's when everything really began to change for me. Wow. Wow. What a story of taking the most painful of circumstances and really discovering purpose through it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, you know I have a baby, and I... I can't even, it's like my heart hurts, obviously, just thinking about yeah. this and so much love to you. And mm. and it's as if she, this was all part of her plan. Like, all right, mom, I'm going to get you healthy. That was, that's this is what happened I, to me. And that's you're going to be I healthy felt. and you're going to go and you're going to understand self-care so that you can go teach it in the world. And you can be you. I'd already done the coming out and claiming my spot as an out lesbian thing, and that felt great. And I was walking around San Francisco, which was the month I moved there. It was filled with pride flags, and I was just like, oh, my God, I'm in Mecca. I'm in heaven! <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, to have this happen mm. was the rest of the story, because I had found my way to being gay, yes, but I had not found my way to living my values and really owning what my true contribution was going to be. Because let me tell you something, honey, it was not going to be internet marketing, and I knew it. <laughs> and so right after her death, the only way I could cope or even process what had happened was to begin to write essays. And years earlier, I had been a successful essay writer in magazines and such, and I, I, I loved writing essays. I loved the short form, and they became blogs. And I started this blog in 2012, and I'm still going strong. I put in um, two or three blogs a month, and I have hundreds and hundreds of them now, and they're very much about this process of being in transformation out of crisis learning to be a better person, taking that deep self-care message to heart. And, mm. you know, I couldn't work. I couldn't work. I couldn't work. It was just not happening. I kept trying to start the old business. And the one time I got to like a launch point, hackers took down my website <laughs> and destroyed it. And my webmaster kept trying to put it up again six times. He tried six times. It was hacked. I finally said, okay, end of story. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Not meant to be. Right. Universe is going, oh, no, Suzanne. There's something much more for you. Yeah. So I'm writing these little essays. I'm making no money. I'm living on savings. I'm living for free in a friend's guest room because wow. I can't really work. I'm too, too grief-stricken. And um, somebody I've known all my life asked me to uh, have lunch with him. And he's a very wealthy guy. And... Uh, really loved a novel I had published many years earlier, many years earlier, a book, a book about which I'd completely forgotten pretty much, but I had published it with Random House. It was, you know, an okay book. I think I could do better. <laughs> and he said, I'm too busy to write fiction, but I've always wanted to. If I gave you a character and I paid you, would you be willing to write a novel for me? Well... That was 2014, and it's 2021. I'm in year seven, and I've written nine novels for this guy. <laughs> and they're all about being queer, which is super fun. Super fun. Talk about, like, in alignment and 
you know, writing about what's true for you and what you know and what's life. And yeah. So this is amazing. You went from five decades of not fully owning who you are to this really being your identity being really your whole message. Not that your whole message is be a lesbian or, but it's be you. Yes. Right? So since you write so much about self-care, can we pause and define self-care? Because I get so annoyed when I see articles out there that like, go get a manicure. I'm like, Mm. no, that's not really what it means. So can we define that for a minute, Suzanne? Yeah. Um, In the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide, what I talk about is the importance of creating circumstances in your life that support you. Because as women, and particularly as busy women, the big issue is that you have no time because you're busy taking care of everybody else. And the minute you stop and think about you, you feel guilty. Mm -hmm. I have 50,000 women in a Facebook group and they all say the same thing. This is, I'm not making this up. There's a belief. I, I know it. There's a belief that we must serve others first. And the book is really like my manifesto about making ourselves enough of a priority that we can meet our needs, our basic needs. We can make time to be alone. We can make time to move our bodies. We can make time to set limits. And the Mm -hmm. way we do that is we have, you know, I, I talk in the book about, you know, sort of having some conscious conversations and that kind of thing where, you know, we learn how to make requests that are not ang- the angry tirades that we might ordinarily be pushed to make. And they're not- I've the- had this baby for 10 hours. Exactly. It's your turn. <laughs> exactly. And it's not the long-suffering martyr who was my mother's <laughs> generation. It's all right. Fine. I don't need to eat dinner. You eat it. You know? Right. <laughs> it's not that. It's not I that. like crumbs. Crumbs yeah, are okay. Crumbs are fine. I'll just take a bite, you know? Right. <laughs> Now, this is all about claiming your space and getting help. Turns out you can get help, that Mm -hmm. that people actually want to help. The biggest issue we have as busy women is that we don't understand how abundant the world is and how much the world is willing to help us. Our mindset is on deprivation. Mm. Our mindset is on deprivation. Right. It's like I want everyone to really take that in because it's so powerful that we have this belief that if we don't just work harder, if we don't just do more, we will never be able to have what we want or be happy or be okay or finally Mm -hmm. be enough in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole big bunch of bullshit lie that we've been told (laughs) that keeps us on the hamster wheel, you know, scratching each other instead of really enjoying this life and and elevating and not modeling if we have children we're not modeling how to live a balanced life i asked uh, the women in the facebook group what is your top priority and they all said your, your biggest issue what's your biggest issue they all said balance Mm-hmm. figuring mm-hmm. it out, getting it right. And hey, a lot of that is because we're afraid to make those requests. Yes. We're afraid to ask for help. Because I think somewhere along the way, we've been told we're not worthy. If we need help, then we're not good enough. And maybe we're not worthy, right? Like I rarely have met a man, really never, who pauses before saying, I need to go spend the entire day out on the golf course. Right. Like for those who love golf, my husband is not is not into golf at all. (laughs) Women, it's like I'm going to take a girl's day or I'm going to go away. I need a night to myself. Like, oh, no. Right. We have so it's so much more difficult. And we are the generation that's going to change this. That's right. For future generations, because we are the product of the seven generations before us. This is so deep in our bones, in our cells. This kind of sacrificial mother thing that our moms, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers, how they had to live, but we can do it differently. And I love that that's what you teach. And this is where we get back to the, um, my coming out story, because really that was about me finally saying, I'm sorry if this is inconvenient for you, Mm. (laughs) parents, but I'm gay. And here's the ironic thing. My father was dead by then and my mother had dementia and really 
couldn't have even processed it if I told her. She, she didn't know what it meant anymore. Mm-hmm. So they never knew. And at the time, my daughter was alive, of course, and my son was, was um, there. And, and, and you know, they were accepting. They were willing to go with it. But I think the writing the books was the thing that's really helped me claim my gayness. Because the first thing I noticed, and this is very consistent with what we're talking about, the first thing I noticed when I moved to Oakland, which is, you know, the East Bay of the Bay Area is really where a great number of lesbians are, perhaps one of the biggest concentrations of lesbians and, and often queer people in the, in the U.S., um, hmm. San Francisco as well, of course. Uh, but the lesbians of the East Bay, who I met through the woman who is now my wife, who was a, a big member in that community, um, they are the most supportive group of people I've ever met. So mm. there are, you go to a party, and yeah, okay, you might run into an old lover, but they're all friends, <laughs> you know? And they, I mean, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. And and then, you know, you set out to uh, start a project and people want to help. They want to come mm-hmm. over and build your bench with you or mm-hmm. build your raised beds. A friend of mine had cancer. She had very serious cancer. And out of nowhere, all of her friends started showing up with meals, with little cute hats, if she, since she was losing her hair, you know. Right. Can I drive you here, drive you there? Mm. Then it turned out she had to move, and they all moved her. Wow. It's like people show up for each other. That's why I wrote yes. the Oaktown Girls series, because it's mm. really about that level of deep interconnectivity of people who are all different coming together. That's the other thing. It's a super diverse community. You know, you got you got all kinds of people with all kinds of sexual identities and gender identities all flowing together. And that's like a model for the world, in my opinion. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right. It's like love who you are and love everyone else for who they are. And, <laughs> and that's it. That's and that's right. it. You know, and it's I can speak as a woman who has been married now to two men mm-hmm. and my journey of coming out because I had this high school experience. I didn't even know. She came to me one day and said, I love you. I'm like, I love you too. Like we were best friends, you know? And so I didn't know what the heck she was talking about, but I started feeling into it. I was like, oh, I do. I really like her. Like I really have feelings. And we had this really intense, beautiful, powerful relationship, which, which ended in her actually physically abusing me. Oh, because I also wanted to date boys. Like, mm. I'm very attracted to men. I'm very, so it's like, and I'm probably yeah. more physically attracted to men. Mm-hmm. No, I am. I'm much more physically attracted to men with the emotional side with women, right? And so mm. there's this component. And I think a big piece of it is now why I create sisterhoods. Yeah. You know, someone was looking at, I have a retreat coming up and someone was looking at one of the pictures and sent me a message about how intimate the retreat looked Mm. because I'm like holding one of the women's faces and we're connecting. And it's like, but I think this is the emotional capacity of women. Mm. This is what I love about women is that we, we have that depth. We have that compassion. We have that really need for connection, right? I mean, research out of UCLA found that a woman's go-to with stress is actually, it's called tend and befriend. It's to connect more than it is to fight and flight. Mm. So we have this, this is natural for us. And I think it's because if we go back hundreds, thousands of years ago, our ancestors, the men were out to war and the women were comforting each other and cooking mm. for each other and taking care mm. of each other's children. I mean, this, that's the natural state. Yeah. And so I love that you found that. And then, and now you're getting to write these novels. Is it so fun to dive into like someone else's brain as you write characters? Like, tell us, this is so fun. It's really something that I was born to do. And um, my uh, business partner really knows that about me Mm. because I just, I've always had an imagination that was so fertile and able to really run with a story. Um, you know, because I love stories. I love listening to stories. I kind of do it all day long. I'm a huge audiobook fan. I'm, <laughs> I'm always love into it. entertainment. I just am. So I like writing stories where people have transformation really happen in their lives. And everybody in these Oaktown Girls books 
really um, goes from being very, you know, un- inexperienced with something or not clear on something or a, a little stuck and they, or, or even perhaps a little shy and uncertain, and they have challenges and they pull together through these challenges so they overcome them and then they emerge as better people. For instance, in the first book, Driven, there's a woman who's, um, she's got the only women-owned garage, auto garage in, in Oakland and in the East it. Bay. And this is actually based on a real garage called Grandma's Garage in Berkeley. Mm. And um, it's, uh, you know, so I created these characters and, and uh, along comes uh, a former Indy 500 race car driver, now retired. She's going to have the bigger, better, slicker garage with a sushi bar. Mm, and, of course. And, and there, you know, she becomes like the bad girl in the book, right? So people are really having to figure out how to deal with her because she's got money and influence and the, 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 the driven garage is kind of suffering. So the gang has to come together and save the garage, right? Mm. But it's fun because there's, there's a, a lot of challenges that people have to personally overcome. And that's how I've learned anything in my life. So good enough for my characters, I figure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love how you're just marrying every aspect of your life. (laughs) I love it. You know, you said, this is what I was born to do. And, you know, I'm all about purpose. And I believe that we are all born for purpose. Oh, yeah. I quite agree. And I think I cast about for my purpose for many years. I'm 62 now. And in my 20s and 30s, I kept thinking, oh, that's my purpose. Yeah, right? And then I published How Much Joy Can You Stand um, in my later 30s. And writing self-help books really became my purpose. And that book, interesting thing, I set out to write a paper newsletter. That was in the 90s when paper newsletters were sort of new and trendy. And I mm. set out to write a, new, a paper newsletter for people who were moonlighting and kind of, you know, freelancing and trying to, like, get their, get their fun dream thing together. And how much joy can you stand just, like, grab me by the throat and pulled me through this process? And I wrote the whole thing in, like, a month. Wow. And... At the end of it, I had this book, and it took two years to sell it, that no publisher was interested in it, then a small press bought it, then they had some success with it, then a major publisher swooped in and rebought it, and, 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 you know, really expanded from there, and it took on a life of its own, it became workshops, it became all kinds of stuff. And that was the beginning of me kind of running along behind, trying to catch up, going, okay, okay, fine, I'll be a self-help author. And then it all expanded until I got sidetracked by the internet marketing. And that Mm. ended with Teal's death, who I feel pulled me back to my purpose. Mm. So this is huge, right? There's so many things I want to underline, highlight, put a little picture frame around so that we all remember them. You really were in your flow. You were in your purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Teaching, inspiring, empowering women, people. I don't know if it was just women with the book, but with these concepts of how much joy can you stand, like that you were in that flow. And then it's like something sexy came along. This internet marketing thing or like making money. Making money. And we've all done it, right? Like, oh, well, maybe I should do that instead. Let me just rip my heart out, throw it down, you know, throw it down into the trash and like proceed along without a heart for a while. Mm. And then you come limping back, heartbroken, and you go, where's that heart again? I, I need that thing. Turns out oh it's gosh, useful. Until, until passed of heart failure. She did. And her heart was donated to a young woman her age with whom I'm connected and who whose mother and I have um, had, we had a podcast together. We've done all kinds of stuff. Mm, so beautiful. It's just so interesting. You were saying you ripped your heart out and then. Yeah, it's but that is kind of what it was, because it's a heart. I think all of life and the living of our purpose is a heart opening experience, yes. because now I feel humble. I feel compassionate. I feel like I'm ready to serve people. I don't care about the money. The money is OK. It's fine. Everything's cool. You know, it's not like my it's like my ego finally has. Uh, interesting, the light just went out in my office. I see it. It's flickering. <laughs> it is. <laughs> hi, Teal. <laughs> I was going to say, is that Teal? Like, I don't want to be presumptive. It's your daughter, but I was going to say, hi, Teal. Okay. 
I was going to say my ego is really like dialed back, but nah, my ego's still in there. So yeah. thank you. Now the light's working again. Yeah, she does come in totally through the light bulb flickering. sometime. <laughs> Y'all, once you get to know Suzanne, you will see spirit is really all around her. I mean, I really feel this. Right back at you. Divinity. Mm. Divinity within. We all are. We all have divinity within, but this like really attuned connection with you. Well, thank you. And and I feel I had little to do with that <laughs> because I do recognize that spirit is around me and I do um, experience teal around me a lot. Mm. And I feel like she wrote me a letter. She wrote me a letter. This is very appropriate to tell this little story here. About six months before her death, it was Chris, It was eight months, it was Christmas time, she wrote me a letter and gave it to me as my Christmas gift. And she said, I had a session with a healer who told me that in this lifetime, you and I are meant to be leaders in light together. So I support mm. any light leadership you have to bring to the world. And I had forgotten about this letter. I had totally lost this letter. I, it was buried in the bottom of my email inbox because at that time I was a go-go marketing person. I didn't have time for this sort of thing. Very sweet, honey. Thank you. Mwah, I love you too. <laughs> so um, this was about a year and a half after her death. I was sitting in this little office I'd rented, grieving, trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing? Why do I even have this silly office? And um, I heard her say to me, look in your inbox. Mm. clean out your inbox and my inbox had moved from place to place with me without being disturbed or cleaned out so right. somehow it was just growing <laughs> it was just growing <laughs> and um I spent the whole afternoon going through all the papers I found nothing of significance there was one paper left at the bottom I picked it up and turned it over and it was the letter about being leaders mm -hmm. in light together and it was really telling me trust the process you're on the path you don't have to worry let go of your anxiety just go with the flow, baby. And that's how I came out. That's how I found the fiction. That's how I came to write How Much Joy Can You Stand and my other self-help books. That's how I've developed my podcast. That's how I've done, that's how I got my publisher for Pete's sakes mm -hmm. on the self-care book. It was like, I, um, she got a hold of one of my novels. My agent got a hold of one of my novels and called me up and said, do you write nonfiction? You know? And Two years later, we had a book. As a matter of fact. Yes. <laughs> so this is, this is amazing because I so often hear, and I have done myself and, and still have to fight it sometimes within my own body, like, okay, but no, 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 like, but how did you get the publisher? But no, 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 like, but you didn't just sit there, Suzanne, right? And there, that little voice is in me. And, and of course, I, I fully know the process of surrender and of trust and of being in alignment and and hearing your story, it's like, no, no, but really, Suzanne, how did you get that? And so if someone's listening to this and they think, okay, so all of this has just happened, right? You have an investor who came to you to write the novels and this agent called you and they say, but how do, how do I create that? What do you say to someone? I say you create, well, I'm actually thinking of a wonderful little quote that I received in a meditation, which is, God helps, but you create. Mm. And the truth is that the universe does put things in our path, but we just have to dig deep into our gut and listen and follow the prompts. This is not about taking another course that teaches you how to be, you know, God forbid, six figure anything. This is not about- Six figure internet marketer. No, 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 no. because- <laughs> Because you're going to learn a bunch of stuff that work for them, and you and them, they're different. And and you will never be them, they will never be you. You have to find your own process. And you have to be willing to live with the unknown. That's the big thing. And for all, you know, several years, I really didn't know kind of what my light leadership was going to be. And I was in that place, Karen. I was beating my head against a wall saying, I've got to know what this light leadership is. And, you know, websites are crashing. It's a calling. Someone call me already. <laughs> <laughs> websites are crashing and I'm meditating and, you know, crystals. And it's like, come on, bring it. It's like, no, it's not going to happen that way. Mm. And it didn't. And what happened was that I just did life every day taking the next right step. Mm -hmm. And the next right mm -hmm. step is all you have to focus on. And you take the anxiety away 
and things roll. Things yes. roll. I am ever unfolding. I'm still learning what this light leadership is. And I imagine I will be for the rest of my life. There is no there to get to. There's no sort of top of the mountain. This is all the top of the mountain. <laughs> this is all the top of the mountain. Yes. And it's in this next right step. Mm. And that's where the, you know, we create. It's that deep, deep, deep. It's pause, right? In our world, we're all internet marketers, right? Whether you're in finance or you're even teachers, like everything now, it's like this go, 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 do, 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 parenting, running your kids everywhere in every which way and thinking, you know, you have to make all your own food and everything else at the same time and do it yourself. The pause is so important, right, Suzanne? The pause to actually listen. Well, yeah, because you were born perfect. You were born completely aligned. You were born with a nervous system and sensors and preferences and desires that will guide you on that path. Mm -hmm. But you can't hear it if you're too distracted. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to obsess over it. It just means you've got to open up and spend a little time in solitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel a lot of women, even if they have to lock themselves in the bathroom, they need a little time alone. And if they have to lock themselves in the bathroom, they need to really look at whether they've got firm enough boundaries around their own needs. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, um, you know, a, a lot of people in my group, a lot of the uh, folks in my group talk about, I have to go sit in my car to get some alone time. And my car turns out to be this abundant place. Well, I've spent plenty of time in my car. I used to do it all the time when I was raising kids. And you go out there, you know, I'd have my trusty little notebook and I'd be journaling. <laughs> I think journaling is like a very, very good way to get clear on what's going on. And often it's a lot of this process is about processing your emotions or trying to figure out what to do next, mm -hmm. especially if you've got a, a stressful situation you're coping with, who to ask for help. Mm. how to get out of this belief that you can't ask for help, that you don't have enough. We're all inherently enough, even when we can't see it. And that is one of our big dilemmas as humans, is, is coming to the understanding that we are enough. That mm, I, yeah. as a lesbian, I can be enough as a queer person, you know. And that is real self-care. Yep. Right? It's yep. like, I love me a manicure. It's not that I don't like a manicure. <laughs> I really love a manicure. But true self-care is taking that space for yourself, is having those boundaries so that you come to the point where you say, I, as I am, I am enough. I am good enough. I am talented enough. I am smart enough. And, and I dare you all to even go beyond enough, but I'm really freaking cool as I am. Right? Like in all of it, I mean, I'll tell you that as I oh, got yeah. older, I I only dated men uh, back to, we're weaving together a hundred topics. Do y'all love it? Are you following? It's like, you know, Rosh Hashanah Jewish dinner at my, my house. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta be able to follow, okay? There's like a lot of topics and they're all good and you have to follow along. So everybody with me, raise your hand. All right, here we go. So I only dated men because I wasn't myself. It, I was confused. Like, who am I into? I really had not been attracted to other. There was one other woman when I lived in New York that I found mm. attractive and thought like I would get like nervous and like sweaty around her. But otherwise, <laughs> I was really more attracted to men. But emotionally, I would sometimes think about being with a woman. And I hadn't resolved things with this ex-girlfriend of mine who had hit me. And she had come to me and asked for forgiveness. And I said, okay, without really processing it. And it was like, I got, it turned out I had a lot more processing to do than just saying, okay. And when I met Josh, Josh actually had identified as bisexual mm. and he had had experiences. He had done all sorts of things. Right. <laughs> and it was the safety with him, with a man that actually allowed myself to go, okay, I'm going to own who I am. Mm. And I think I needed that safety to own all of it, which is quite bizarre that the man that I ended up marrying, I needed the man I married in order to, to you know, own this. And, and we have this whole like self-care and, and who am I and what do I need? We have navigated, you know, like we started going to some sex parties mm. and just having fun, like went to, and we have our own boundaries around what, what we do and what we don't do. And, you know, 
could kiss a few people. And it was just like, I don't know, adding some some fun in. And I think it all just, again, comes down to you knowing yourself and allowing the truth of who you are, all aspects of yourself. That's why I think pride is a message for everybody, ultimately, mm. because it is, you know, rooted in the history of the um, gay liberation movement in America, the queer liberation movement. And we need to claim our space as right. out queer people. Yeah. And ultimately, in the end, we get to inspire other people to go against the odds, to swim against the current, to step outside of the box, to define ourselves as who the hell we are and not wait for somebody else to tell us who we are. I grew up with oppressive mother who told me how to dress, who to be, who to be friends mm -hmm. with, what to do, what activities were okay, what wasn't. It was a very 70s message, you know, 60s, 70s message. And it was all about keeping control of this potentially out of control daughter. Mm -hmm. I can remember overhearing them talking about uh, when I went to college, I went to Wellesley College, all women's college, and they were very worried those lesbians might get me, as if, <laughs> as if it was like they did. Yeah, they got her. <laughs> <laughs> as if it was like a cult, and they were going right. to get inside my head and right, turn right. my sexual preferences or orientation into something that they really wasn't. Right, and and for anyone out there who's listening who who maybe doesn't understand this, that we are born as we are born. So That's let's right. Just, right. Let's Thank just you. be clear that, you know, Suzanne and I are joking about this, but this is in case this was, you know, anyone is wondering, we are bored as we're born and nobody can turn you anyway. But I believe we're all on a spectrum. Yeah. Like that's what really fits for me is I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's like all the way heterosexual, all the way gay. I think that we all can be fluid and flow. We have we can be mostly in one place or mostly in the other place. But I tend to find many of us are in a flow. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel I've been certainly in a spectrum. Here's the thing with the spectrum. I definitely noticed I changed in midlife and I became more gay, more or more lesbian, more into women, more queer. But I think maybe that was always there and the truth was mm -hmm. I was just putting it in a box because I really mm -hmm. was not convenient. I was raising kids in a straight marriage in a straight community. <laughs> there were like there was like one gay couple. In the suburbs. Yeah. No, well I was in I was in rural upstate New York and there were oh, like rural, right. two gay men in the town. <laughs> that was it. You got to call them and you got to be like, listen. Oh, oh, they know. Oh, honey, they know. And then there was like, there was a ferry. There was a ferry that took people across Lake Champlain, right? And there was a lesbian on the ferry, an out lesbian, who was um, always there whenever I took the ferry. And I just had this like eye connection thing with her. And then it was like, you are in trouble, girl. You really have to own who you are. You know, I said that to myself. And I could, I was, I just felt like, you know, it, the moment had come, but I, but I do feel that we have to choose which is the community ultimately mm -hmm. off of our spot in the, that we choose to stand in, you know, for mm -hmm. me being in the lesbian community, owning my spot as a queer woman surrounded by these, you know, older lesbians and some queer people, that's my, that's my little spot. That's where mm -hmm. I hang out and I embrace everybody. Yeah. And, and it's all good. And I get to write about everybody. And that's really fun. So good. So good. You know, my spot is in a group of diverse women mm. where we identify as all of the above. Mm. Right. And that we're open, we're fluid, we're interested. Mm -hmm. And I, I discovered that actually when I was in Mama Gina's community. I don't know if you know Mama oh, Gina. Oh, sure. I love her work. Oh, love, 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 love. And really allowed myself to be comfortable in my own sensuality, my own sexuality, all of the above, which, you know, then allowed me to go to Burning Man and be everything that I am, you know, there and, and all of the, you know, all of it. And so the whole point that I hope you're all getting from this is like the deepest form of self-care is allowing you to be who you are. And that's really the message of pride. Is, and I'm not an expert by any means. But let's just be proud of who we are. Yeah. As yeah. we are. Yeah. 
know that when you follow that, pretty cool shit is going to happen. <laughs> like, look, you have an investor for you to write novels about community and people you love. Totally while open. you're building this self-help, self-care empire well, for extremely busy women. Like, Suzanne, the, this the, is cool. The self-care work is a mitzvah, as they say. It's like my gift to the world. I uh, really don't make money from it. I spend money on it. <laughs> well, yet. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do appreciate you bringing the Judaism in. Yeah. Big time. Well, and, and because we all have to have one. What's our gift to the world, you know? And, and the fiction is such a gift to me because I love writing it. And he's a fun partner to work with. You know, knows how to call my writer forth because sometimes I get a little like, oh, maybe we should do this and we could do that. And he's like, mm. yeah, you sound like you're on point with this. We all need somebody in our corner who's really uh, gets who we are and, yeah, and wants to support that. it. Yeah, So fun. So fun. Well, Suzanne, I could talk to you forever. There's so much here. Oh, you too. Oh, so much. Yeah. One thing I like to do with all my guests is a little game I call the Purpose Power Play Round. I'm going to ask you random questions, and whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind is the correct answer. Does that sound good? Sure. All right, Suzanne, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? A writer. Look at you. You just knew. I also wanted to be a Broadway star. Well, please, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think as podcasters, that's like the fun of it. Mm. I wanted to be a Broadway star too, but yeah. I cannot sing and I you know, really can't dance. And so, mm. but we get to have a microphone. We get to be on stage all the time. Yeah. So that's super fun. Tell us a story of something that's come out of having the blog or being a speaker. Well, standing at a, I mean, one of the big joys for me about speaking has been on, to be on stage with the mother of the woman who got my daughter's heart and kidney, mm. Debbie. And she didn't know how to speak. She'd never done it in her life. She was, in fact, phobic about speaking. And the first gig I got for us was 300 nurses in the Oakland Civic Center. And uh, I worked her through it. And she ended up telling me stories about the process of her daughter receiving Teal's heart that I would never have known if we hadn't spent time together and actually written this speech together, wow. including walking into the recovery room after her daughter's surgery, her heart surgery. And she walked into the room and she saw a golden glow around her entire body. Mm. That was so significant. She turned to the nurse and said, she's glowing. And the nurse said, oh, she has increased circulation. So <laughs> she has big cheeks now. Mm. And then her uh, Debbie's sister walked in the room and saw her glowing. And her sister said, hey, she's glowing. <laughs> she has circulation. No. No. But I thought that was cool. <laughs> and I learned that because Debbie and I got on stage and spoke together and developed, I mean, a lot of the work of being a speaker is developing the talk, right? So if I had never done that, I would never have heard that story. And I felt that that was the glow of Teal's energy coming into her body. A hundred percent. It's so beautiful. It's so incredible. So incredible. What would you say to a mama who's experienced or is experiencing that kind of loss? It's really a long process to grieve, but it's a very sacred process, and you're really honoring the memory of your lost child by allowing yourself to grieve. Mm. You're really walking the walk and understand that it makes no sense, and it will eventually give you a gift when you least expect it. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. What's one wacky or big, hairy, audacious, fun, totally out there idea or thing that you would love in your life? Ooh. Well, I've always, I've always had this fantasy about living in Paris, and I got to live in Paris for a couple of months, three different times between 2011 and 2017. And, um, or last time it was for three weeks because by then I, I was partnered. But um, just going back there and sort of 
Living the life of an old lady in France always sounds good to me. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. We are headed to Paris for all of September. We decided nice. we're going to go live there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the same I'm like, page, Suzanne, Karen. I feel like we're the same person. <laughs> Come on. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> I'm so excited. This will be my second time doing it. And I want to do it as often as I can while Shay's a baby before there's school obligations and, you know, unless exactly. we homeschool. But this is really what I want. Okay. Last question. Ready? What is it that you want every woman to know? That you are worthy, that you deserve to get your needs met, that when your body is telling you to stop, it's time to stop, that you are built to be a perfect and whole person. And if you just tune into those signals and follow the leads, you will find your way to greater happiness. Mm. <sighs> Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Suzanne. It's been such a Thank pleasure you. having you on the Purpose Girl podcast. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, I know you're going to want to go check Suzanne out. Suzanne, what is the website or Facebook group that you want everyone to go to? The group is called the Self-Care Group for Extremely Busy Women. And my website is Suzanne Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R.com. You can find my blog and my podcast and my books and everything there. All of the things. Amazing. And we will have the links in the show notes, of course. So thank you again. And to all of you out there, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this proud, proud, proud pride episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. If you loved this episode as much as we love doing it, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave your five-star review and one sentence. Your reviews are how women all over the world are finding the Purpose Girl podcast and really loving themselves and living their truth, following their purpose. So take 60 seconds, doing me a huge favor, go on over there and do it. Of course, in addition to Suzanne's group, if you are not yet in the Purpose Girls Facebook group, girlfriend, what are you waiting for? Such a fun, lively, engaging group, all inspiring you every single day to go live your purpose. Of course, share this podcast with every woman you know. That's how we change the world, one woman at a time. And with that, my love, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now. <laughs>